All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit Podcast about making sense of scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and as always, I am joined by Jackie Mitchell. I'm here. Jackie, when you look around the studio that we're in right now, <laughs> and by studio, I mean our toddler, <laughs> our toddler room at the, toddler the church. Room, church. Yeah. I just want to say that it's giving podcast. <laughs> I hate that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> I don't it's know what giving podcast. <laughs> so explain to me how that's used because I'm a little bit too old to, to understand this. I think I used it correctly, yeah. but, but what, what's the what, what's the genesis of that? Where does that come from? I don't know where it comes from. I'm like barely Gen Z, and so sometimes I like I think there's some moments where like I find things that like my peers find really funny, and then there's other times where like they're all saying something like it's giving blank. Yeah, it's giving. I don't know. It's giving podcast. Yeah. And like, I don't like. Which it is. And it is, I guess. It's just like the the vibe of like, I think it means like, it's giving, it's giving this like vibe. It's giving yeah good vibes. I don't know. It's, oh, I hate that phrase. It just always seems very obvious because you like go into church and you'll be like, it's, it's, it's giving Jesus. Right. It's all stuff <laughs> that like, yeah, of course it is. <laughs> it's like the purpose of it. Yeah. Thank you. What was the what was the painting that you, that you yeah, had? I brought a painting into I I got an office um and I I'm sharing it with Abby who's also like my age and she um <laughs> I brought a painting in cuz I had a few that I wanted to like decorate with and one of them is like this vintage painting I thrifted of a guy like praying at a table. It's like a pretty famous painting. Um and she said it's giving we're praying. <laughs> That's it's a like, picture of a guy yeah, praying. Yeah, a guy praying. Like, what do you just, mean? You're just observing things. It is about giving it. praying, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> All right. So, so uh, we're going to talk about Genesis three today. Yeah. Which is giving Satan. Giving sin. <laughs> giving sin. <laughs> giving, giving the fall. Plot development. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so again, you know, the first three chapters of the Bible, as we've kind of talked about, lay the foundation for. The rest of you know everything that that is talked about and everything mm-hmm. that that goes from here you know forward and so uh, the last few weeks we've gone through the creation stories and I think that that's been a fruitful exercise to do to to do that in detail and to kind of go into the depths of the story aspect and the symbol aspect and the spiritual aspect of what's happening in those stories uh, and so you know we can probably summarize before we. Yeah. We get into to Genesis 3. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a couple things from the creation story that's just really important as, as we move forward. And so, you know, the first thing that I think we need to take away from the creation stories is that, that you know, as, as Christians, life comes from God. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked about this, but he's not just a being who's bigger and better than us. He is, right. he is being. Right. And he grants being and all of existence is in him. Right. And so to, to exist at all is to be breathed to life by God. And so there's only such thing as, as existence in God, which means that all of creation is, is pure grace. Yes. It's a yeah. pure flowing of the perfect love of God that's eternally the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think that that's important because sometimes like— in our Protestant tradition, grace is like this thing that comes after. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like we're a part of this world, 
and the natural world is bad, but then there's this super addition of grace that comes on top of it right. with Jesus. And right. not really the story that's being told when you, when you read the scriptures from the beginning, mm-hmm. right? The story that's being told is that <laughs> to be created at all is to be elected by God. Yeah, everything is grace. Yeah. So election actually begins in creation, which once, once we get you know, to Israel— we're talk, we'll talk about the different forms of election right. that God takes with certain people or whatever. But to exist at all is to be elected by God, breathed to yeah. life, right? Yeah. And so that, that, I think that's an important place to start because there's, there's some misunderstanding, I think, in our— Yeah, I think it changes your attitude towards grace. I think, you know, that's one of my favorite phrases, mm-hmm. like everything is grace, because it's a good reframing for when we think like— God should give me this mm. or like God should let me, you know, this is how my life should play out. If not, like I won't be happy with God. Well, that you have life at all is grace and that you've been given, you know, communion with God is grace. And so I I, I really like, I think that we forget that and then it makes us numb to grace. Mm. And then we think that we like deserve more of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're like, I want more grace. And like, we just don't get that. Like we've been given so much. And so it's a good reframing. It is. And and I never want to discourage people from crying out to God. Yeah. Like, right. Most of the Psalms are. Yes. David seems somewhat yeah. unhappy with the way yeah. that God has. Yeah, absolutely. And so I always think the Psalms are funny because he'll complain for the first half. And then, and then yeah, God he wraps it up. <laughs> I'm writing all the Psalms out right now. Yeah, yeah, which is a cool exercise. And it is know. like you start a Psalm and David's like, Life is horrible, <laughs> and you've you. I need you to do this, this, and this, and mm-hmm. you're not answering me. And then the back half is like, and I'll praise you, and I love you. <laughs> you're the greatest. Amen. And I can live without you. Yeah. And you're like, oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is, which is good. So so I never want to discourage people from you know crying out to God about right. circumstances or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. But it is important, like you said, to frame it, it at least. Yeah, it doesn't make us you know it doesn't transcend our circumstances like in the fact that like we're still in circumstances that are hard, Yeah. but it's a good reminder for when I, I get so focused on like something specific. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to reframe my situation. The the second thing that I think is a good, a good thing to make sure we bring front and center is that the, the creation story centers around the hospitality of God. Yeah. So not only does he bring us to life, but he brings us to life in a world that's abundant and Mm -hmm. beautiful and fit for us, right? Uh, and and so I think that that's like a really beautiful thing to know that when you look outside and you see, you know, the 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 grass and the trees and the oceans and the beauty and all of it, you know, part of the reason it exists like that is because God wants us to be here and to live fully and enjoy it and to enjoy Him and to worship Him through that. Yeah, and so. You get into the hospitality of Jesus and then the hospitality of the church, which is what we're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and that's because we're just patterning ourselves after God. Right. And the creation story shows that that hospitality, which is which is um, a, be- a beautiful thing to see. And then ultimately, uh, like we've been talking about since the beginning of the podcast, everything that he fills this with, plants, animals, and then specifically us— uh, w- everything is created to bear his imprint mm-hmm. to some degree. Right. So everything that a creator creates bears the imprint of the creator. So we've talked mm-hmm. about this in terms of music, you know, 
you can you can watch a, a Quentin Tarantino movie, and if you know movies, you know it's his. Yeah. Even if no one told you that because right. of the way that because it, it bears his he the creator of that movie's imprint. And so the same is true of, of this world. So trees and grass and wheat and the 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 clouds and the oceans and rivers and lakes and birds, cattle, everything that exists can tell us something about God, and it all points to Him because He made it. And so theologically, that's the reason for the great diversity of this world that we live in, the fact that not everything looks the same. Yeah. He could have created the world any way he wanted. Yeah. Like a flat continuum of everything that looks the same. But he didn't. Yeah. He, he created all of these, diff, you know, biodiversity and different kinds of weather and different climates and topography and animals and, you know, the symbiosis of ecosystems and all of that stuff. And it all points to different things about him. Mm-hmm. So as humans who are supposed to know him, we have a world that's diverse and varied with all of the different things about it pointing to different things about God. Yeah. And so our life is, you know, the world is sacramental in that way. It, mm-hmm. it, it bears his imprint. And so it points to him um, and he's, you know, infinitely complex. And so one example of what he's like would not work. Yeah, that's a good point. But an entire world that's filled with all kinds of different things really helps us fill out yeah. trying to understand the right. the infinite and, and, and almighty God. Because, again, he wants to be in union with us. Yeah, yeah. He's giving these things to us as a means of grace to know him. He wants us to know him, yeah. right? Uh, and then most specifically, human beings point to God because we're explicitly called images of God. And so we are like him in our being somehow. And we're also commissioned to act like him. Mm-hmm. So just like he brought beauty and goodness and order and life from the chaos in Genesis 1, we as his images are supposed to do the same thing. So we're supposed to have dominion and we're supposed to subdue the earth, which means to bring more order from it. We're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, which means to bring life. And this is what it means to be human. And every human being has this as a foundation of meaning to their life yeah. uh, and, and in, in our community together with other humans. That means that we're in charge of the world. So this world flourishes to the extent that we bring flourishing to it. Yeah. Yeah, right? we've been given that that leadership and that responsibility. And this is tricky because sometimes like after we read the story that we're going to read today, yeah. People are people ask and and they should ask like why would he do that? Yeah. Like why doesn't he just make everything happen the way that he wants? Why yeah. does he create free beings? who have the ability to image him, but also have the ability to turn from him. Right. Because if all of this beautiful world is in the charge of images who might turn away from him, why would he do that? Right. And the only answer that I can give you from Scripture is because he wants he wants that to be the way that the world is. Yeah. He wants his images to be participatory in the world. You know, he wants the flourishing of the world to move through us. And that opens up tremendous risk. But he mm-hmm. knows that. Right. As the creator of the world, right? Uh, and so the world's flourishing depends on us. And that opens up the possibility. What, what if we don't handle it well? Yeah. And I bet we'll see that today. Yeah. What if we're not connected to him? Right. What if we end up moving away from him in such a way that we don't even know him anymore? Right. So then it makes it 
you know, not just what happens to us, but then what happens to the things we're responsible for. Yeah, exactly. And so today we're going to talk about Genesis 3, which is classically called the fall. Yeah. Or the fall of man, the fall of mankind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, it, maybe it's, should, it should be called, we should probably just refer to it as the fall because it's the fall of everything. Yeah. Because of who man is. Yeah. So the fall of man implies the fall of creation too. Yeah. Which is the theme that, that we see moving throughout the rest of the Bible. Um, but, you know, before we get started, I'm just interested because I come from a very different background than you. You grew up in church and you have faithful Christian parents and you went to a Christian college and you majored in Bible. And so you've been around Christians to some degree your whole life. Yeah. And so in your experience, how do Christians, you know, tend to conceive of the fall and sin you sure. Know, not just yeah. in ways that are wrong, but just in general, how yeah. is it typically spoken about in that yeah. kind of milieu? I mean, this is one of the central, if not the central, like this is the problem in the Bible. Right. So if we're going to talk about the story aspect, like this is what sets up everything else like that we see happening in the Bible. Mm-hmm. So everything from then is going to be, you know, a response to Genesis 3 for the most part. So... You know, this is certainly talked a lot about. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, understanding sin is important in the church. And I do think there are like maybe two, maybe one misconception that like that kind of branches out into like two misconceptions that I think like even as Christians we can fall into. I think that people even in the church often think that the fall is like a punishment from God. Mm -hmm. So the things that happen afterwards are, are God, you know, like we messed up. So God has to give us like the punishment. Yeah. And so like, you know, he's mad. Yeah. He's angry, which we'll see later is not true. We'll talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're earning like we, you know, like it says the wages of our consequences, you know, of our, of our actions. Um, so sometimes we think that this is God's like angry response to us. Like he set us up Mm -hmm. and then we did the wrong thing. So he's like really angry and like gives us like a mean punishment. Right. And so because of that... Even if the punishment is just. Yeah, correct. We right. think it's like because we messed up. Yeah. So he punishes us, right? And I do think that like sometimes we think that the punishment maybe isn't just like it's an overreaction. Right. And I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding of the problem and like who brought about the consequences. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And so I, I think that like, you know, this is talked about constantly at least it was for me growing up. Um, but it becomes this, like, it, it can become, like, a, like, cautionary tale yeah. rather than, like, an explanation into, like, God's love. Like, mm-hmm. I think if we look at the fall correctly, we shouldn't be, like, ups- we should not be upset with God's reaction because God's reaction, as, as we'll find out, is love. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. And pursuit. Yeah, and pursuit immediately pursuit like right away right yeah yeah so so sometimes uh because sin is such a big deal we begin with genesis 3 so yeah. if you ever hear of like shortcuts as to how yes. to preach the gospel yeah, that's a good point. it's almost always that we start with well you're a sinner and so you're separated from god and there's nothing you can do about it yeah. but jesus died on the cross and so now you can step back into that and it's not that that's not true but we did just spend uh i can't even remember but quite a few weeks talking about the, the before the fall, yeah, the beginning. And so I think that in, even in the gospel presentation, 
the things that we just discussed a moment ago about the beautiful world and the life that God has given us and the grace of God that is creation and all. Like, I actually think you have to start with that. Yeah, I think if you don't, if you start with sin, you're implying, whether you mean to or not, that the your purpose was sin. You're a sinner, but God saves you from your purpose. Yeah. And like, that's not true. Our purpose is not to be sinners. Our purpose is to image God. And so if we don't set that up, it becomes like you've you've always been like this and you were supposed to be like this right. and God's going to save you from that mm-hmm. versus like you have a different purpose that's yeah. much better. Yeah, yeah, because it, it kind of sets up this thing where it seems like maybe this broken world is natural. Yes. And yeah. then the grace is the supernatural aspect that comes on top of it. But, but I think what we're going to see in the fall is that actually perfect communion with God is natural. Yeah. And the brokenness that we experience is the most unnatural thing possible. Right. And so what God is doing is restoration. Mm. And he writes says it's not plan B. Right. Correct. It's yeah. It's a restoration yeah. of the original plan, which is why we start at the beginning. And so like everything we talk about on this podcast, we're not interested in deconstructing your faith and your understanding of the Bible, but we want to give depth and texture and beauty yeah. to scripture and to the story of God and to redemption and to what it means to be a Christian. So um, we're going to spend the whole episode today talking about the fall and sin and the implications of that. So um, unless you have something else, why don't, mm-hmm. why don't we begin in, in Genesis 3, 1? Yeah, 1 through 5? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but we must, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. Mm. So a couple of things, all of a sudden there's a talking snake. Right. And there's no preamble to this. Yeah. It, now, this guy that you know, you know the serpent? Yeah, like we've been talking about serpents and how they talk, and so here's a serpent talking. So here's that's this not, guy. It's just all of a sudden. <laughs> I know. The woman's in the garden, and there's a snake that's talking to her. And so, right. uh, first of all, why is the snake talking to her? But then, you know, secondly, why is Eve comfortable talking to a snake? <laughs> right, because if a snake came up and yeah. talked to me... I wouldn't hear out what they had to say. Yeah, you're not going to be like, <laughs> like you would be like, why is oh, the snake point. talking? This is strange. Yeah. You, you wouldn't just answer the snake's question. I'd right? be like, hey, good argument. Good point. <laughs> um, but before we look at that, because we are actually going to get into that, because that's yeah. you know really important in terms of the spirit aspect of our hermeneutic. Um, the, the, there's a couple of things to discuss. You know, God said that you may eat from any tree in the garden, which includes the tree of life yep. that we talked about in Genesis 2 but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that tree, you will certainly die. Yeah. So how does Eve do when the serpent asks her, you know, this deceptive question? Yeah, she retells it. She gets one thing. To kind of right. Yeah, one thing a little bit different, though. Yeah, so she gets it mostly correct. Yeah. She said, we're not supposed to eat from that tree in the middle. Yeah, so she knows. Yeah. But then she says, we're also not supposed to touch it which is not exactly the command that God said. I don't know. Like, I don't know that's if that's true. Yeah. Maybe they're not supposed to touch it, but they're not supposed to eat from it. That's the, yeah. the command that, that God specifically gives to her. And so 
you know, one of the ways that, that I kind of think about this is that technically God gave the command to Adam. Yeah. And so he gives this, he talks about the tree of, the, the, of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil before Eve Correct. is created, yeah. you know, ripped out of Adam's side like we talked about. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one, one way to, to talk about this is like sometimes when you try to give people rules for something, you hedge it so that they don't even come close to breaking yeah. it, right? So instead of telling your, your child, don't run into the street, you say, like, you're not even allowed to— Don't like, play in the front yard. Yeah. That was our, like, yeah, directive. Yeah, or, like, yeah. We, I had a really long driveway growing up, and so it was, like, um, it, there were, like, blocks of concrete. Yeah, yeah, And it yeah, was, like, you don't go past this line. Yeah, like that one block of concrete. That's which was the not last one. yet the road, Yeah, I know right? what you mean, yeah. And one of the things we're going to see is that this is what the Pharisees do with the law. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what Jesus— condemns them for is not that they're following the law, it's that they've set up hedges around the law. Right. For what, you know, for good reason, for, they feel that right. they're, you know, protecting people from, if you break one of these hedges, you still haven't really broken the law. Right. Because, you know, God gives a command that says, don't say the Lord's name in vain. Yeah. It's like, well, what does that mean? What, what about, what if I say the Lord's name like this? Or what if I say it like this? And so what the Pharisees do is they say, don't even say his name at all. Yeah. So we don't speak the name Yahweh, but that's not specifically commanded, right? Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to use his name in vain, which means something specific. Right. But they set up this hedge. And so it kind of seems like right here is a picture of kind of what you're going to see the Pharisees do with the law, mm-hmm. where maybe, not to say this specifically, maybe Adam has set up a hedge. Yeah. Right. To say, don't, don't e- eat from it. Don't even touch it. But don't even touch it. Don't, yeah. <laughs> don't even look at it. You know, yeah. like that's, yeah. that's like, uh, that, that's what you do with your, with your children, yeah. you know? Um, and, but in some way, even if it's for good intentions, that's somewhat of a miscommunication. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the serpent lies. And the way that most good lies work is that they're almost true. Yeah. Right. If you just say something outlandish. Like, People typically don't believe you. Yeah. There has to be some kind of truth that's in the lie. And then that truth gets twisted a little bit. And that little twist of untruth uh, is the thing that has the ability to really lead us astray, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is where the serpent is, is really going with this. And so the, the question would be, why does God say, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? What's, what's the reason that he gives yeah. in Genesis Yeah, he says, two? because when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Yeah. It's not usually the way that we think about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He doesn't want us to eat from it because he doesn't want us to die. Yeah. You know, we, we we tend to think of these rules like they're oppressive. Yeah. He doesn't say, because I'll kill you. Yeah. He, I'll and get we mad like, at you and I'll kind kill of assume you. that. Yeah. He says that, you know, I mean, he creates us out of love. Right. He wants us to exist. Yeah, he right. wants us to flourish. Uh, he knows what's good for us. He knows what will hurt us. And he says, don't eat from that tree. That tree will hurt you. Yeah. To go back to the example of your kids in, in the playing in the street, like you don't say that because you want to make sure that your kids know you're the boss. Yeah. And so I'm setting up this rule, don't play in the street. I'm going to see if you follow it because that will right. tell me if you're obedient or not. Is literally so that they don't run into the street and get hit by a car and die. Yeah. You don't want them to get hurt. You love them. Mm-hmm. And so God loves us. And he, he tells us that if you eat from that tree, you know, you, you're going to die. And, and I don't want you to die. Yeah. So even the command in and of itself is grace. Absolutely. So this theme that we see. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this when we get to the law. 
because you're going to read through Leviticus and there's all these rules. And it's so easy for us in our modern intellectual tradition to look at that and to look at it as being unnecessary and oppressive. But if God is gracious and loving, then all that he commands of us and all that he gives us is for us. Absolutely. This is a big misconception that like, you know, God isn't gracious and then we get to the New Testament and he starts being gracious. So creation is gracious. Creation is grace. Yeah. And his commands are grace. Yeah. Because look, if he didn't tell us, if you eat from this tree, you'll certainly die. And we eat from the tree, we still die. So he tells us not to eat from it. Yeah. That, that's grace. Yeah, right? that, that's That's part of the, the commands of God, our grace. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we talked about this a little bit again last time, but I actually think that the humans would have been given access to this tree progressively as they live in this world. Mm-hmm. You know, humans are dynamic, changing beings, right? You're not the same right. today as you were 10 years ago. And that's true of everything. And so... In a life where you follow God and you listen to him and you're obedient to him and you move along the grain of the world that he's created, you become something. Yeah. You become a being who starts to be like him and you know him. And so when you talk about wisdom, discerning good and evil, right and wrong, you will start to become like him, right? Yeah. But it is his world. And so the grain of the world is according to him and what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong and what's evil uh, th- that's hit for him to decide. Right. So for, for us to just go up to that tree and to take it because it looks good, that's not the way that we're created to be. Right. And even now, like we said last week, that is how we gain wisdom is not instantaneously taking right. for ourselves, but through a long life of obedience. Through humble obedience yeah. and submission to the God who created, who created all of this. Uh, and so... You know, if we take from this tree, not only will we die, but creation is in trouble. Yeah. Right? And so uh, we'll, we'll, we'll read on. Well, why don't we, should we talk about the serpent? Let's talk about him. All right. So, so let's talk about the serpent. This is like a little bit, you know, I think most of us would think this is kind of strange or weird because we, we, don't, we don't have a good grasp on the spiritual world and we don't have a good grasp on the spiritual world of the ancient Near East, right? Right, Which is, which is right. where the story comes from. And so in summary, according to the, the, the scriptures and according to Christian tradition, the serpent is a fallen divine being. Mm-hmm. So we talked about some of, some of our earlier mm-hmm. episodes. God cre- has a world that he's created. That's the world that we live in. There's also a spiritual realm of yeah. disembodied, beings. Yeah. Beings who live in 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 an unseen spiritual reality. Yep. Right. We talked about this in episode seven, I believe, or okay. eight. Okay. Um so if you haven't listened to that, the yeah. Divine Council episode. Yeah, the Divine Council episode. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, so so we talked about this. Uh and in in the garden, the humans have access to this realm to a degree. Yeah. Right? With intimate access to God intimate access to, to the angels, to the sons of God, to, to all the language that the Bible uses about these beings that are created in this, this unseen realm right. with him. And so I think that the reason the woman's not freaked out that this divine being is speaking to her is because that was normal in Eden. Yeah. That, that we're in communion with yeah. these beings, right? 
But for some reason, somehow this angel has fallen mm-hmm. and is now working against the interest of God. Yeah. Uh, which brings us back, you know, really to the spirit aspect of our methodology. And so, you know, Yahweh is the Lord of hosts. That means that there's a host of other beings that, he, that he's the Lord of, uh, not just us, but in the heavenly realms. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when you look at the Hebrew word for serpent, the word is nachash, nachash. You have to do that weird thing with your throat for the, for the, for the het. Uh, but, but in Hebrew, in the original form, there's no vowels. Mm. So okay. in the, the Old Testament tradition that we receive mm-hmm. is from what's called the, the, the Masoretic text. And the, the scribes went in and they added vowels mm-hmm. to help people understand the, these words. And this was like in, you know, probably like the 10th or the 11th century. Mm-hmm. And so originally it's a consonantal language that has, everything has a three letter root to mm-hmm. it, a three consonant root with, with no vowels. And depending on where you put the vowels, it changes the meaning of the word. And so uh, the, the beautiful thing about it is it gives the biblical authors who are writing uh, a, an ability for, for really beautiful wordplay mm-hmm. because one word, three consonants, can mean a bunch of different things, right, depending yeah. on how you pronounce it and what vowel sounds you, you add to it. And so I'll show you, I'll, I'll show you something. Nahash, the noun, means serpent. But if you change that to the verb form of it, it can mean like uh, to to divine, mm. like divination, like divination, to give an oracle. Yeah. And then if you make it an adjective, it can mean shiny. Okay. So you have this word that can mean snake, and it can mean to divine or to 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 give a divine oracle, uh, or it can mean shiny. And and someone reading this in the the original language, that would that would be pretty obvious if you knew the language yeah at least at least the you know what's called the semantic range of a word the different meanings it could have that would be more intuitive right just like it is for us in english yeah if you knew the language um and so uh what does this have to do with knowing that this serpent is a divine being okay well well, a, a few things um there's a divine being or a spiritual being in the hebrew tradition and in some other religious traditions of the time that's called a seraphim yeah so there's some psalms that talk about the cherubim mm-hmm. and the seraphim and the cherubim and the seraphim uh were like uh the guardians of the god's throne mm. so you'll see when humans get expelled from the garden it's guarded by cherubim with flaming yes. swords right yeah but seraphim w- w- is also one of these beings and the way that seraphims were depicted were they were depicted as snakes. Mm. So they're serpent-like creatures who guard the throne of God. And then in the story, this serpent gives the woman an oracle, mm. a divination, right? Yeah. He says, if, no, if you eat from this tree, you won't die. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so it's a divine being that's claiming to speak on behalf of God Yeah. and gives a divine oracle, which was the second meaning of this right. three-letter yeah. uh, root. And then... Uh, Divine beings in the Bible are almost always described as being luminescent, shiny. Yeah. They shine like the stars. Yeah. Right. In fact, in the Bible, they, they, they believe that the stars are the embodiments of divine beings. Right. Right. Which 
doesn't mean that that if you were to take an ancient Hebrew person and you could explain the concept and you could say, well, uh, you know, those stars are actually balls of gas, like right. big nuclear right. furnaces that give off. It wouldn't make any difference to them because, you know, when, when you look at the way that idols were worshipped in the ancient world. Yeah, we've talked about this. They didn't think that that was right. God. They, they carved it and then God... The glory of God, like, Was went to, into yeah. it, possessed it, yeah. and so you could see it. And so that's kind of what we're talking about. What is a star? Well, it's like the embodiment of these divine beings, yeah, right? And and they're shiny. Mm-hmm. So when Abraham is told by God that your descendants will be like the stars in the sky, he's he's not just talking about in number. Mm-hmm. He also means in essence. Yeah, you you, you will shine. Yeah. Like the stars, because the glory of God will will be in you, yeah, and and it will and it will shine out of you. So, you've got a serpent, you've got a divination, and you've got a shiny being, being, yeah. And so it's like a triple entendre, is 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 what you call it in, in English, and it all points to the fact that I think uh, using this way of looking at the word, it's pretty obvious that that this is a divine being, yeah. But this divine being has malicious intent for some reason. It's trying to to bait or move right. the the humans, the images of God, into rebellion. Right. And so, according to Christian tradition, uh, the divine beings who fall and rebel against God, uh, you know, there is a divine fall, yeah. and it happens because of jealousy. Mm-hmm. And uh, interestingly enough, like it's not really jealousy of God; they're jealous of us. Because hmm. we've been given dominion, right? Yeah. God created this world and he put us in charge. They already exist. Yeah. So you could think of it in a way that you have a job and you have responsibility and maybe you're the right-hand man of like the CEO. Yeah. And then the CEO hires somebody mm-hmm. and he's like ahead of you now. Yeah. This guy that he hires. Yeah. And you're kind of like, well, what's... what what. I don't like this. Yeah, it feels like threatening to your position yeah, somehow, even, even if, if it's not. Even if you still have your same right. job and your title and your pay. Nothing's changed for you. It's just that now there's someone ahead yeah. of you. And so this is the way that, you know, the, the Old Testament goes on to speak about this and the way that the New Testament goes on to speak about this. And then, and then in much more creative, full way, the, the early church fathers go on to speak about the fall yeah. Of of these these angels, these divine beings, um, and so you know, it, it puts them into st- such a state of jealousy that a portion of them fall, yeah, and try to sabotage the images of God, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you see in this story, mm-hmm. right? He's trying to get them fr- to eat from the tree that's going to kill them, yeah. And so you know, if you if you want to if you want to attack God, you can't, right. You can't attack the creator and sustainer of the universe. You can't attack the infinite. You can't attack him. Um, And and they know this. But what they can do is they can hurt his images. Yeah. And so God is enthroned in the hearts and the minds of his creatures. And so they can attack his creatures in whom God resides. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a summary of, I think, what's happening here in in the garden. And we'll see it again many times. Mm -hmm. And in our own life. Yeah, yeah, still. Right? Because we're going to take this and say that this kind of spiritual war right. is alive and well, mm-hmm. and it happens to us, right. that we're led astray. You know, there, there are forces that are trying to turn us away from God. And so the Bible will go on to describe this serpent as Satan. 
or the devil. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while in the biblical text for this to be developed. Mm-hmm. Here it just says serpent, and you're, yeah. you have to kind of like yeah. figure out what, what that means. Yeah. Uh, but if you're interested in this, there's a book by Michael Heiser called The Unseen Realm, which I actually think is linked in our description that, that, that lives in all of our episodes. And then there's a podcast called The Lord of Spirits, which is by a couple of Eastern Orthodox priests. And those are really good places to start in terms of learning about this divine if you're realm. Interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're interested in this kind of thing, because we don't have time to, you know, do a bunch of episodes on this. But that that's just a little bit of a primer mm-hmm. and a summary of what's going on here. And it helps answer some of those questions like, what is this snake doing? Why is Eve speaking to it? Yeah. How do you know, why do we think that's a divine being? And so hopefully, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So why don't, we, why don't we go on? We can read kind of a, a decent chunk of it, maybe okay. 6 through 11. 6 through 11. Okay. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Yeah, so they do exactly what God told them not to do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Right? And so Genesis 2 ended with saying that they were both naked and unashamed. And so yeah. right away, you see that something immediately has fundamentally changed. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they know that they're naked. They're shame. They, they sew clothes for themselves. Right? Yeah. And, um, and, and they cover themselves. And so something has changed. And, and, and th- there are certain interpretive traditions that try to make this something explicitly sexual, mm-hmm. right? Because they're covering themselves specifically, you know, they're, they're covering uh, parts of their body that have to do with sex. And so, so it's something about lust or something about that. And, and I think it includes that, but, but I think that it has more to do, generally speaking, with innocence. Mm. You know, uh, when they were fully connected to God and living as he desired them to live, there's innocence. Yeah. And this innocence is lost when they eat from the tree. And with that, there comes shame and all kinds of other realities that point to something now being fundamentally wrong yeah. in, in their existence, right? Yeah. And so they now see good and evil, and they can understand to some degree good and evil. And so even in this initial sin, uh, th- there's, there's this, this uh, um, you know, th- this like reaction they have to it yeah. where they want to they they cover themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. There's 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 good that they have not yet clothed themselves in. Yeah. You know, symbolically speaking. And instead they've they've turned away from God, but they can't actually hide from him. Yeah, they cover themselves and hide from him, which is you're gonna lose that game yeah, of hide and seek. You can't hide from him, right? <laughs> yeah. And and so they just you know, it, it's a good depiction of what we try to do. Yeah. We, Absolutely. We try to fix these things in our life. And yes. What we try to fix, it doesn't yeah. work. Here's a, the, that's a good application. You know, when we sin, we know we sin. Mm. 
most of the time we know what we've done is wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And we've made that choice. And then we we choose the sin, but then we try to like work our way out of like being like acknowledged for that sin. Mm-hmm. And like to 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 try to work our way out of the consequences. That is like of course like the shame aspect of sin, right? Mm-hmm. That we want to hide it. Yeah. We want to hide it from others. We want to hide it from God. Yep. They, you know, clothe themselves, um, you know, for each other and then also for God. And then they hide from God. Yeah. Just like we do with sin. Yeah. You know, they, they've eaten from this tree. And so, you know, everything is fundamentally fractured. Mm-hmm. And their and they're like, human solution to this is to cover this. themselves yeah. with, with fig leaves. Yeah. Right. And it's just, it does not even begin to scratch the surface right. of the problem. Right. And so, like you said, you see this in, in our in our day-to-day life. This is the way that we react to these cosmic consequences of turning, you know, turning away yeah, and, from God. And I'll say we don't even fully grasp the consequences of sin, mm-hmm. I don't think. And so neither could they. No. No, and they, and they don't. So they're fixing what they can see. Yeah, they're fixing what they can see. They're fixing what they can have control yeah. over. Right. And you can start to see even yeah. like the the grip of control tightening where it's like something's wrong. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to cover myself with fig leaves. Right. Like, so I've chosen to choose right and wrong for myself and gain wisdom when I want to. And I'm going to control, you know, the consequences of that action as well. Yeah. And, and the way they go about doing it is totally inept compared yeah. to what the problem is. Right. 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 And so uh, God, then God comes and, you know, of course he knows that this has happened right? But, but over and over again, you see this in the Bible, that he created us to participate with him. Mm-hmm. And so we're supposed to be beings who participate in this world. And so even in this initial sin and rebellion, he invites confession. Yeah. It's not that he doesn't know. Yeah. He says, right? what's, what's going on? Where are you? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. And he, he invites, I mean, honestly, like maybe, and, and some of this stuff is speculative and, and I admit that, but, but maybe he invites true confession Right. That could actually make a difference. Yeah. You know, what happened? I've sinned against you and yeah. we've turned from you and I'm sorry. I want you back. Yeah. Uh, but, but you know, instead. Instead. They do something different. But it is important to understand that, that, that he doesn't come as an angry judge mm-hmm. who's going to smite them for their rebellion against him. He, he, he invites them into participation. That's his first response to sin. Yeah. He invites them to confess and he invites them to come back to him. He's looking to walk with them. Yeah. He, because just like for the reason he created them, he wants yeah. them. Mm. He desires them. That's why they are in the first place. Right. And so right. here's another instance of grace. Another instance of grace immediately. And so uh, how about 12 through 13? Yeah. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Yeah, so you can already see the rotten fruit that's born yeah. from this kind of right. you know, alienation from God. Um, there's relational strife. Yeah. Uh, there, there's <laughs> uh, the, the man who is the one who was given the command. Yeah. Right? He was the one that God said to guard and protect what's in this garden. Mm-hmm. Now there's an intruder in the garden who's trying to work against God, and he fails to do what God told him to do. Yeah, He fails to protect his wife, Eve. Yeah. He fails to protect the garden. He fails to protect creation. 
And yet his response is not this confession that we're talking about. His response is, well, that woman that, that you put here with me, she told me to eat the fruit, and so I ate it. Yeah, it's like when you you ever argue with your parents as a kid and you're like running out of like yeah. <laughs> good arguments and you just start throwing stuff, see what sticks. Yeah. Like, it, Not only is it like she did it, but he's like, and you put her here with me. Yeah, you put So it's kind of your fault in a way, so you remember, which is a crazy accusation. <laughs> yeah, because when 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 Adam wakes up, he, he sings praises. a song He's about like, thank it. you so much for giving me this woman. And now here he is saying, well. He's like, well, you gave her to me. That woman really, you gave me, she she really. You put her here. <laughs> she messed up pretty bad, don't you think? Uh, <laughs> um, and then the woman does the same thing. And, and we're going to we're going to see this. One of my favorite scenes in the biblical story is uh, after the Exodus, they received the law of God mm -hmm. and they're building the tabernacle and Moses is going up on the mountain to get the instructions to how to build it. Yeah. And when he comes down, they've taken the gold that was supposed to be used to build the tabernacle. They built a golden calf and they're worshiping this calf. Yeah. And God gets angry and Moses gets angry. And Aaron, who's the priest. Yeah. He says, well, I just took this gold and I flung it in the fire and then out came this calf. <laughs> this is like literally crazy, what he says. Like which is just, it's the same thing. Right. Right. Which is what you're talking about. It's its natural for children to do. Right. We do it. You know, if, if you mess up really bad at your job, like naturally, one of the first things we try to do is figure out why it wasn't your fault. Yeah. Uh, someone else can take the blame. Something else can take the blame. This is, again, control. Most most of marriage counseling mm. is to try to, under, to try to get the two parties who are involved to understand their... To admit fault yes, individually. Yes, yeah. that, that they're part of the problem, yeah. right? Because the natural reaction is like, well, he's doing all these things that are bad and are leading to our relationship being bad. And she's doing all these things that are bad that are leading to our relationship to be bad, right? Yeah. And so you see this just just on point here Yeah. in, in, the, first, in the first response. And I, I want to say for the record that we see this and we laugh because it seems so absurd. And then we do the same stuff. Yeah, except. But like it, in our head, when we're doing this for our own sin, we're like, mm -hmm. got this under control. This looks totally normal and right. no one knows. And God didn't notice. And this is, you know, this is their response to him inviting confession. Right, yeah. So he doesn't come and kill them because they've done the wrong thing. Yeah. He's like, hey, what's going on? Right. Tell me what's going on, right, guys. Right, like, let's, right. And and they just immediately start yeah. down this road. Right. So so let's do let's do uh, fourteen through nineteen. Okay. So the Lord God said to the serpent, "Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put an enmity enmity enmity. Yep. Okay, between you and the woman's, and between your offspring and hers." He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, will you give birth to children? Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from, all, from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. It's like a summary of the effects yeah. of them turning away from God, right? Yeah. 
And so the serpent is, the first thing that happens is the serpent's cursed. Yeah. So that's, again, not always the way we think about how God deals with sin. Yeah. Right? His first reaction is to curse the serpent and to promise the serpent destruction. Mm-hmm. He says, you're cursed above all livestock, and you'll crawl on your belly, and you'll eat the dust. And then yeah. one day, the seed of the woman will destroy you. So he's crawling on his belly, right? This, this means something specific. This means something that has to do with the story that we've been telling so far. This being, if indeed it is a seraphim who guarded the throne room of God, has in the highest of the heavenly realms, in the throne room, has been cast down to the lowest of low, cast all the way yeah. into the dirt, right? So, so this is like the fall of, mm-hmm. of the, the, the serpent. And so it's not really about how snakes used to have legs. Right. It's talking about this divine being who was up there in the throne room of God, intimate communion with him, and now he's in the dust crawling around yeah. eating it for, for the rest of his life. And, and as he goes on to tell the man, the, the dust symbolizes death, mm-hmm. right? From dust you were taken until to dust you shall return. That's saying that you're going to die now. And so the serpent is given dominion over the realm of the dead. Yeah. He's crawling around in the dust, yeah. which represents death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the sometimes we think the Bible's not being literal. But, you know, you 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 are made of the carbon of this earth. Yeah. And so, you know, the Bible says that we were taken from the dust and were formed into a creature and were breathed to life. That's pretty literal. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you die, you go back into the ground and your physical fleshly body disintegrates back into the dust. Yeah. It's about as literal right. of an understanding right. of death, of life and death, uh, that, that you could possibly have. And so uh, the serpent's given dominion over that realm. And that might seem strange because it seems like the serpent's been given a kingdom now. Yeah. Right? But, but it's a kingdom of dust and ashes. It's a kingdom of death. It's a kingdom of nothingness. Yeah. So this being who used to be in the throne room of the God of life is now destined to crawl around and eat the dust of nothingness. Mm-hmm. And so the serpent is cursed, and he's promised destruction. And that realm of nothingness is the only thing that the, the serpent, or Satan, has. Yeah. So the reason that, that Satan and all that are in his charge use lies is because they don't actually have anything to give us. Yeah. So they promise us the world, but they can't deliver it because it's not theirs. Mm-hmm. It's not his. It belongs to God. It doesn't belong to him. And so he has to lie and lead you to believe that you can get something from him, from following him, from turning away from God that you cannot get. The, the, the only thing that you could possibly get from that interaction and from following him is death. Yeah, this is why we talk about, you know, false promises of, of purpose outside of God, why we talk about it being hollow. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing that it can offer. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, nothing to that. give. It's quite literally nothing, yeah. nothingness, right? Mm-hmm. Dust and ashes. That's what exists outside of God. Right. And so, um, you know, when, when Jesus is being really combative with the Pharisees, he says, your father's the devil because you lie. Yeah. You act like him. Well, that not only is that quite the condemnation on the Pharisees, that's also a description of what the devil does. Yeah. He lies. The reason that he lies is because he has nothing to give us. So he promises us things that aren't real, mm-hmm. right? And so here's the serpent 
cast down and promised to be destroyed by the seed of the woman. Mm-hmm. Right? So, so God immediately responds to the fall by promising salvation. Right away. And, and this is after they fail to confess. Yeah. So the grace of God and what we'll go on to see that God is described as long-suffering. Mm-hmm. It's, it's on display right away. You know, yeah. he, he, he shows up, invites confession. They don't do that. And he still promises the destruction. Even before he turns to the woman and the man and tells them what the consequences are. Exactly. The first thing. He says, and I've got salvation for you. Yeah. And then the curses that that affect us. Yeah. um, This is where the story aspect of our hermeneutic is really important because there was was something specifically that it meant to be human. Mm -hmm. Be fruitful and multiply. Yep bring life into the world, mm-hmm. and rule and subdue the earth. Yes. Cultivate it. That's our two big uh, commands in Genesis 1 and 2. That's what it means two. to be a yeah. human, right? And so what are the curses that come upon them? What yeah. becomes difficult now? Childbirth and working the ground. There you go. So that is so intuitive when you read the story, but when someone just gives a sermon on Genesis three fifteen through, you know, mm-hmm. 18... That's not usually the way, that's not usually what's depicted for people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That connection's not always made. This is simply saying, hey, what it means to be a human is going to be hard for you. You know why? Because you've turned away. You've turned from your purpose. You've turned from your, you know, design to mm-hmm. be human. And so, of course, now it will be difficult. You're an image of something. Yeah. So when you turn away from that something then all that you are and all that you do mm-hmm. is going to be compromised. So filling the world with life and cultivating yeah. and subduing and ruling is now uh, going to be a big challenge, even though that's specifically what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, from dust you were taken to dust you shall return. The destiny of the image of God is now death. Right. Before this, they had access to the tree of life, right? So it's almost like it's like a provisional immortality, yeah. That as long as you're connected to the God of life intimately, then life is yours. Which makes sense. But if you turn away from, from that, the God of life, then what's the what's inevitable? Right. It's death. Right. I mean, I mean, that's you know, sin most fundamentally in the Bible is a, a movement away from the God that is life. Correct. And um w- you know, God, because God is infinite, uh any any, the difference between any finite number and infinity is infinity. Yeah. So that's a strange, you know, it's kind of yeah. mathematical, but it's also just kind of conceptual. But if it's like 575 billion, the difference between that and infinity is infinity. Still infinity. Or one. And it's same Still thing. Still infinity. Yeah. So a movement away from God's an infinite movement away from life. Yeah. Which means that the only thing that could possibly be in your future is is death. Right. And so here's, again, our misunderstanding of, you know, what causes our death. Mm. It's not God being angry, once again, like we've said. Right. It's the natural consequence of us turning. And yet, like, we still do this. We still sin and are surprised at our, you know, our, our consequence yeah. of death and, and of, you know, our, our separation from God. Yeah, there's been a lot of ink that's been spilled over the fact that they eat the fruit and they don't die. 
Yeah. Right? It's kind of interesting, yeah, right? Yeah. Again, the grace of God. They don't die right away. Shine through. You would think that, like, you bite into, you know. Strop. Which it's typically, we, we say it's an apple, but the Bible says fruit. And so I've actually heard it's probably a fig. Yeah, In the Middle East, they, you know, they grow figs. But, um, but you would think that, you know, you put your teeth into it and you're dead. You just drop. Because that's kind of what the command sounded like. Yeah. But that's not exactly what happens. Which is, again, when you're telling a child, mm-hmm. you know, don't run into the street because you'll get hit by a car, right? I right. mean, this is not, you know, and yet, like, they eat and the death isn't immediate. It's not, yeah. But it is destined But now. it is now going to happen. It is, yeah, it is their destiny. So, so you know, from this point forward, the problem of the Bible is death. And like, Absolutely. And like you said earlier, the wages of sin is death. Mm-hmm. So, so sin leads to death because sin is a movement away from God and God is life. Mm-hmm. So there's no other option. It's just simple logic. It's not God being mean. It's not even really a punishment the way that you and I think of crime and punishment. Right. Like you do the crime, you do the time. Yeah. Right. It's not exactly what this means. It's because God is life. There's like a an ontological aspect to this where it's like he is being and existence himself. So if you turn away from that, you're moving towards death. Right. And here's humanity's control issues. Once again, we want to choose to do what is turning away from God. And we want to do that without turning. Mm-hmm. So we want to have what we can gain from gain in quotations from turning away from God without the consequences of us turning away from God. Yeah. Which is, which is death. Yeah. Right. And so the wages of sin is death. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a very good summary of, of Genesis three and and the consequences that that you see here. So then uh, how about 20 through 21? Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Yeah, so we can stop there. Um, Adam names her Eve. So before this, her name was the woman. <laughs> yeah. Right? So there's the man and the woman. Right, yeah. And so it's not until after the fall that she's named Eve. Uh, and, and you know, the reason that she's named Eve in, in Hebrew, that's that's Chava, mm-hmm. is, is what that, that name is in, in the, the Hebrew letters. And this means, like, to breathe or to give life, kind of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... So, so first of all, she is the mother of all creation, right? In right. the biblical storyline, she starts, you know, she and Adam start to have children and that yeah. starts to, you know, populate the earth. Uh, but there's also like other layers of meaning here. And I think the second layer is maybe the most important layer, mm-hmm. which is that God wants Adam, Adam, humanity, to participate in creation. In Genesis 2, the first way that he participates is he, he names the animals. Mm-hmm. And so now... He even after the fall, he he names his wife the woman Eve, which means life giver. Yeah. And remember that God promised that the serpent, who's the king of the realm of death, would one day be defeated by who? Yeah, the the seed of the woman. Yeah. So the seed of the woman, if it defeats death, then it's what does it bring about? Life. Life. Yeah. So this is almost. A, I mean, this is a prophecy. Yeah. So Adam prophesies here by naming his wife the giver of life. Yeah. Because one day the seed of her, some descendant from her is going to to crush the head of the serpent who is the king of death and so life will 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 come about. Uh, when you get into the gospel especially John you start to see that that Mary 
the mother of Jesus becomes parallel to Eve. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense in an obvious way because she gives birth to God in the flesh, right. the God of life. So she's the mother of life. Yeah. Um, in in like the, the wedding at Cana, mm -hmm. sometimes people like initially have a problem with this because uh, Mary comes to Jesus and she says, you know, the wine's run out. And he's like, woman, <laughs> why, are you, why are you telling me about this? And everyone's like, that's rude for him to call her woman. Yeah. But from a theological perspective, what, what's he referring to her as? The same name that... The same name. Yeah. As the pre-fall Eve, the mother yeah. of all life, right? So, so the only time she's referred to in the Gospel of John, she, she's called woman. Yeah. Mary, the mother of Jesus. It's called woman. And, and that's because she gives birth to the seed mm -hmm. who's going to crush the head of the serpent, mm -hmm. Jesus, on the cross. And because that's God in the flesh who is life. And so she's quite literally the mother of life. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think this stuff is cool because there's so many layers to the meaning of, of that text. Yeah. And it, it's clear they're expectant for it. It's all they have left is that hope of salvation. Right. You know, they've been given, you know, the 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 warning or the summarization of what life is going to look like mm -hmm. now that they've chosen this way and it looks bleak but in the midst of it here's salvation and so and and perhaps here's here's adam showing faith yeah knowing mean? that god what god said was true he believes the what he told eve yeah one day your seed's going to kill this this serpent mm -hmm. who's now over the realm of death and so what's he name her the giver of life yeah and so in that way, it's, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, animal garments. Okay, yeah. this, is, this is like a, a weird thing that you kind of have to unpack a little mm -hmm. bit. God kills a couple animals, and he, and he covers. Uses the skins of the animals to cover them. Yeah, so um, first of all, the, the church fathers were pretty adamant that this was about God... <laughs> showing them what death was, mm. right? Because they hadn't seen it before. It yeah. in the story, right? So God kills the animals, shows them what, it, what death looks like, and then covers them with the skins, which is going to be intimately connected to, sa to sacrifice and atonement. Yeah, something died to cover them. Something dies to cover them, right? Um, uh, sacrifice becomes extremely important in turn, now that sin has entered the world. And, and it's important for us too. You know, we believe in sacrifice and uh, we believe in the eternal sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So sometimes we think that it's uncouth for these ancient people to kill all these animals mm -hmm. in order to approach God. But we mm -hmm. literally go into church every Sunday and we look at the cross, which is where God in the flesh died and spilled his blood so that we might approach the Father's throne of grace. Right which is exactly the same thing. We're so, celebrating that sacrifice. So we still celebrate sacrifice yeah. today. And this is like, you know, God shows them how to do this. Isn't that interesting? Like mm -hmm. once again, his response to all of this is continued grace, continuing to make a way. He does, not only does he not kill them, he shows them what it looks like to participate in some kind of ritual that allows them to be in some kind of communion with him still. Yeah. And to be covered. Yeah, they don't have to figure this out for themselves. They're shown it. Mm -hmm. And so Grace again. You know, grace on grace on grace mm -hmm. is is the the story of the Bible. It's just what God is like. Mm -hmm. He's gracious.
And so then to, to end the, the chapter, 22 through 24. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat it and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Yeah, so um, uh, some of the church fathers are also very adamant that um, death in a, in a world where the relationship with God is fractured is actually grace. Mm. Because what would happen to us? What would we become if we live If we forever? were given <laughs> unlimited time to do evil. To turn away from yeah. God, right? And so in that way, uh, y- you know, becoming like us and knowing good and evil in a way that they're not supposed to, to be able to eat from the tree of life is to take that tragedy and extend it infinitely, eternally. Right. 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 And so that can't happen. Yeah. And so God cuts them off yeah. from that immortality that they had access to but before the fall. And then, you know, secondly, uh, there is an aspect of this that is rebellion. You know, C.S. Lewis always says that a sinner is not just a bad person who has to become better. It's a rebel who has to put down his arms. Yeah. Sinner is a rebel who has to put down his arms because, you know, there's something that has happened in that moment where they didn't trust him. They didn't trust God. Mm-hmm. They didn't think that what he told them and what he had for them was the best thing for them. Right. And so they said, I'm going to take this for myself. And so in any, you know, ancient context, I mean, in any context now, if you do that to the king, you're removed from his presence. Yeah. Right. Usually through death, yeah, <laughs> immediate right. death. Right. Um, but even in a relational context, if somebody continues to hurt you, mm-hmm. the advice that you give them is that you have to create boundaries. Right, and here's God's plan, you know, to further the flourishing of the world, and they are turned against him, mm-hmm. and, you know, in essence, they're for the destruction of the world. Yeah. That's what to turn away from God indicates. Mm-hmm. And so are they allowed to continue to steward that i don't think so not in that way not in the garden not in the same way that they were before right for sure and so so this is exile yeah they get sent east of the garden in eden Mm -hmm. and this is going to be a continued theme throughout the bible um but by the time you get to jesus the people of god have gone through another exile. They know exile well. Right? The, the northern kingdom is is exiled to Assyria, and the mm-hmm. southern kingdom is exiled to, to Babylon. And mm-hmm. part of what Jesus is doing is he's bringing them back from this exile, from this, yeah. this spiritual exile, right? And so uh, the direction here east, you're going to see that this continues to happen. Next episode, we'll talk about Cain. And when Cain kills his brother, spills his innocent blood, he's sent east of Eden. Mm-hmm. So here they've gone east of the garden, and then Cain's going to get sent east of Eden. The, the people of God uh, in you know, the kingdom of God in the Old Testament gets sent east of the promised land mm-hmm. to Babylon. Babylon's east of, of Israel. Mm-hmm. And so you see this eastward movement, which in the Bible has symbolism. It means you're getting sent away from the intimate presence and the connection yeah. of God. Um, and so, uh, not only 
is everything amiss now because to be a human means to rule and to reign in this world on God's behalf, right? We are not autonomous kings. We are the king's royal authorities, Yeah. right? We're supposed to take him and manifest him in the world. And so when we turn away from him, we've given that up. Mm-hmm. We've given up life. We've given up the task of the human being. And so, yeah. and, and, and there's a fracture now between us and God. You know, as long as we're rebelling against him, there's enmity between us and God. Yes. Which is why the grace of God is so important. Yeah. Because if not for that grace, then, you know, there's no reason for us to continue to exist. Yeah. Right? So, so the rest of the Bible from here forward is showing continuously the way that God opens up a way for his compromised images, who a lot of times are doing the opposite of what they're created to do, right, can still be in communion with him. Yeah. And, and he can still move this mission forward. Uh, but for now, at the end of Genesis 3, it's tragic. Yeah. And Genesis 4 is going to turn even more tragic. And Genesis 6 is going to be really tragic. Yeah. And Genesis 11 is going to be very tragic. And then Genesis 12 starts the rescue mm-hmm. mission of God when he takes mm-hmm. Abraham. And that family is going to be the one through whom the snake crusher mm-hmm. comes through. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and so that's the, the story. We, we touched on some, some symbolism in here. And we, we certainly touched on uh, the, the spiritual yeah. aspect of, of what's happening here. Yeah. Uh, but, at, you know, at this point in the story, it, there's tragedy. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, not, you know it's not a happy story. Yeah, there's beauty in the grace of God here. Mm-hmm. But there's also something about our lives that we can map onto this that shows just how incapable we are of saving ourselves. Absolutely. You know, we walk around in this world, even as Christians, and a lot of times what we're doing is we're sowing fig leaves, trying to cover ourselves. Yeah. When that's never going to work, mm-hmm. right? And we're, we're sinning, which does not just mean we're breaking the rules that God put in front of us and so we're in trouble. It means we're turning away from life right. itself. We're turning away from the giver of life and the sustainer of the world. And so in a way, what this story shows you is it's not as simple as God's mad at us, and he's so mad at us he wants to kill us. As we can see, he doesn't want to kill us. Right. He's doing He's doing all kinds of things <laughs> to not to, do that. Yeah. And at the same time, it's even more tragic than that. Mm-hmm. Right? Sin is a movement away from the God of life. And in that movement away from the God of life, those of us who are created to take this world and make it good, uh, we're going to see we have the ability to actually destroy it. Mm-hmm. And to take it instead of from glory to glory, from glory to death, and that's that's yeah. what we're going to see as we move forward. But uh, you know, Genesis one through three; these are the foundational texts mm-hmm. that everything else coming after this has to do with these things. And so, we really have to have a good grasp on this because mm-hmm. everything that you that we're going to read about Israel and everything we're going to read about Jesus, and then everything we're going to read about the church has to do with this. Yeah, absolutely. This is the foundation, and if we're going to be restored, this is what we're going to be restored to before yeah. this moment. This this story, Genesis 3, shows um, why we have to be restored and kind of like what's on both sides of that. There's the mm-hmm. sin on the one side, but then there's the potential of restoration, which is Genesis 1 and 2 on the other side. And, you know, all kinds of themes come from this. Uh, Jesus yeah. is going to resurrect 
in what in what place? In a garden. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. So Mary uh, Magdalene thinks she's a gardener. Yeah. Well, that's not that's because they're in a garden. Right. Like that's not because she's like dumb. <laughs> so they're in a garden. She thinks he's the groundskeeper. So like, yeah. oh, that guy must be the gardener who's yeah. here. But it's the resurrected Christ. There's a right. reason he resurrects in a garden. Mm-hmm. Because of Genesis one and two, right? We're being restored to something. Yeah. And uh, it's easy to miss. Yeah, certainly. You know, in, in the way that the Bible's typically told to us. And so hopefully this gives us like a firm foundation of, of where we're going from, from this Absolutely. point forward. And next week, we're going to go through Genesis 4 for sure. And I haven't quite mapped it out yet, but, but maybe Genesis 4 and 5. We'll start to speed up a little bit. Yeah. Like there'll be certain moments of the biblical sure. story will slow down. But there's also be certain moments where we don't need to spend an hour episode on certain things. And so... Yeah. Um, it's. I don't think it's quite as simple as okay. How many chapters are there in the Bible? How many That's weeks how many is this podcast going to go? Because right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 might be that might be might be ten years. Right? Certainly, we so can this group will just some like of the five. Psalms together, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> this will just be like five years of this. You and it's I. Fine. Right? <laughs> so we're gonna have to have more stories about your cat and more stories about some. Oh, he's so. given me lots of content. Right. So you know, we we leave with Adam and Eve. You know. They are certainly heartbroken, but they're left with a promise. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing I want to bring up is that I think, you know, Adam and Eve then, because of that promise, must think, you know, well then, you know, let's have offspring. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the one, right? Yeah, the seed. And so they have no idea, right? you know when that will happen, but certainly like that's their hope going into Genesis four is that their offspring would be the one. Yeah. They have to obediently and humbly follow God in what he said. Right. And you know, Adam's naming of his wife as the mother of life is a good start. Yeah. It's already a turn from not believing what God said before to believing what he said was going to happen the next time. Exactly. And that's only possible because they're still existing in the grace of God. Yeah. And he's opening up a way for them to continue to, to mm-hmm. move forward. And so that's Genesis 3. Yeah. You got anything else? That's it. All good. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for joining us, and we will see you next week on Story Simple Spirit. Mm-hmm.